Hey y'all, Pastor Emil here with another episode of Sweet Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, ice cream is sweet, dessert is sweet, all kinds of things in life are sweet. Heat is sweet. You're but, rapping now. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesus is sweeter. <laughs> I got Brother Greg here, as you can already tell. And uh, we're looking at the next chapter in this book, Celebration of Discipline, Chapter 7 on Solitude. And, you know, I was uh, I actually had a little bit of time to prepare, uh, which I actually prefer to do, <laughs> but to prepare a little bit more than usual. And as I was reading through the chapter, I just thought, you know, there is so much here and it's going to be a challenge to keep it limited. Uh, really encourage everyone to take a look at this. But uh, again, he starts right out of the <coughs> gates here with some really fascinating stuff. Y you can read the, the whole, I could quote for you the entire first couple of pages because he really does a good job of summarizing and uh explaining exactly what he's talking about, why there's such a need, and why our culture is just so terrible at facilitating this, and in, in many ways why it's all that much more important. Um, Jesus calls us from loneliness to solitude, he says. The fear of being alone petrifies people. Uh, why do you think that is? Why do you think people don't like being alone? Well, I guess it's natural. First of all, we're made to interact. It's not good for man to be alone. Very true. But what people don't realize is you're not alone if you're with God. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we should feel this sense of aloneness, the result of the fall. But the solution is not necessarily another person. A, a great scripture is, uh, I am complete in him who's the head of all principality power, uh, Colossians, I think. Uh, lots of people try to get their completeness in somebody else. I tell single people, even married people, you have to be complete before you connect with somebody else. If you are halfway empty and not complete in the Lord, and you meet another halfway empty person, one half times one half equals one quarter. One quarter less. <laughs> but if you are complete in Jesus and you meet somebody else who's complete in the Lord, one times one equals one. one. So uh, that's uh, fascinating. I <laughs> <laughs> simple math. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never thought of it that way, but it's it's uh, it's so true. And you you talked about completeness. I immediately thought of Jerry Maguire and uh, you know Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger. You know what I'm talking about? That movie. Mm -hmm. You complete me. <laughs> that that scene where like they're you know I, th I think it's Jerry is you know confessing his love for her and mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff his assistant formerly his assistant now sort of the person who completes him or maybe it was the other way around i don't know i forget <laughs> um i had to watch it at some point i'm sure but not a movie i i go back to all the time but that's that's right we're we're not we're looking for someone to complete us we're looking for people that will fill us things that will fill us uh, we we recognize somehow that we are not everything on our own. Like we need something more, and mm -hmm. we're trying to find that something more in someone else mm -hmm. other than the only one who it's supposed to be. That's uh, I, I that does come through in a lot of what he's written here. In fact, you were 
saying something. I had this actually written down. Solitude is more a state of mind and heart than it is a place. There is a solitude of the heart that can be maintained at all times. Crowds or the lack of them have little to do with the inward attentiveness. It is quite possible to be a desert hermit and never experience solitude. <laughs> but if we possess inward solitude, we do not fear being alone, for we know that we are not alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, neither do we fear being with others, for they do not control us, right? If you're trying to be completed, these other people are really important, they, and they can control you without even trying. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the midst of noise and confusion, we are settled into a deep inner silence, whether alone or among people, we always carry with us a portable sanctuary of the heart. You know, just everything that he writes in here, I think it's something that I know I don't always have and I want. And I think most people today are just desperate for this, like this peace, this portable sanctuary of the heart that in any and every circumstance they're in, where th- whether they're alone or with lots of people, that they just have this peace, uh, this, this calm, this, this uh, you know, lack of striving for people's uh, opinions and and uh, running from being controlled by people and all that kind of stuff so oh it'll help your marriage it'll help your relationship with your kids people are trying to suck the life out of everybody and it doesn't work and it, it really hurts your relationships but if you can uh master some of this uh discipline then when two get together It'll be for the better and, and, and not for the worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then a threefold cord will not be easily broken and all, all those types of verses. But people really have misunderstandings about it's not good for man to be alone. They, 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 even in the church world. Oh, we, we got to get everybody married before they fornicate and, and, and they're lonely. And <laughs> that's not what Paul was saying for a whole chapter in in the in the Bible. He was saying, I'm, I'm complete. Yeah. I even recommend you, you do like me. A lot less problems in the flesh. But because I know you're probably going to burn up with lust anyway, (laughs) um, you should probably get married. Right, right. And there's nothing wrong with it. But don't rush into it. If you are married, what does Paul say? Those who are married, pretend like you're not. Those who aren't married, pretend like you are. You're married to the Lord. You know, there's there's all kind of ways to look at it. And and you can totally... You can be an incredibly pious person, right? Like, uh, you know, practicing chastity and still be totally uh, what, what the opposite of this inward solitude he's talking about, just mm-hmm. chaotic, the, the loneliness, the aching, mm-hmm. the longing, all this kind of stuff. You can have that mm-hmm. and then rush into marriage because you just got to, right? But Because but you, you haven't wrestled with the underlying issue of actually you're trying to fill this void with something that will never satisfy it you know it's not sex Mm -hmm. it's not this person it's not anything else it's jesus and solitude forces us into recognizing that Mm -hmm. and into wrestling with that and and uh and, and you know seeking after the lord right uh, there's actually a lot of uh, what we're talking about here. I have to bring this up because it's a Lutheran, he quotes. Uh-oh. Bonhoeffer or Bonhoeffer, depending on... Oh, yeah, he's uh, good. He's got something in Life Together. <laughs> Let him who cannot be alone beware of community, 
Let him who is not in community be aware of being alone. Mm -hmm. Each by itself has profound <coughs> pitfalls and perils. Uh, therefore, we must seek out the recreating stillness of solitude if we want to be with others meaningfully. We must seek the fellowship and accountability of others if we want to be alone safely. We must cultivate both if we are to live in obedience. And so if you desperately need community, I think mm -hmm. at some point he talks about getting trapped up in emotions and feelings and, uh, you know, kind of being controlled by people. And if we desperately need aloneness or running from people, well, then we wind up in all kinds of things, vanity and uh, self-absorption and things like that. And so there's this balance that we need to pursue through solitude but not necessarily being alone, but seeking after God. Uh, he actually says in one spot here, like you can be in noise and you can actually be practicing solitude if you are, if, if the noise around you is God speaking to you. Uh, I think that's actually, he connects that with listening. Mm -hmm. Praying without ceasing. Without silence, there is no solitude. Though silence sometimes involves the absence of speech, it always involves the act of listening, he says here. Uh, it's page 98 here. Yeah, so so you can be in all this stuff, and you can be praying anywhere and everywhere. You can be in communion with God, and, and that's really, I guess, the goal. Kind of this inner sanctuary of the heart is an inner communion with, an inner fellowship with uh, God. That uh, all the stuff that's happening around you isn't controlling you. It's God speaking to you and you're listening. Mm -hmm. And you're not caught up in the thoughts of your own heart, your own mind, the worries and concerns, right? I mean, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Another element, uh, a deeper form, I guess, of solitude, silence, uh, is when you hear people talk about the dark night of the soul. Are you fam yeah. familiar with that? Yeah, phrase? he's he's got a section on that. Um, uh, Jesus kind of demonstrates it on the cross. Uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. And there's lots of scriptures. Isaiah, God hides himself because um, he wants us to seek him. And uh, and sometimes you, you need to just examine yourself, talk to yourself, <laughs> figure out where you are, and then uh, you can talk to God a little better. But there's just a lot of uh, benefits to uh, getting the clutter out and focusing a little bit on self to see where you are and then focusing on God and, and nobody else. And, and the more you do it, he's going to bring plenty of people into your life. Mm -hmm. Like you might think, oh man, God's putting me in these situations where, I, where I'm feeling lonelier and lonelier. I'm getting older or, or my kids are leaving the nest or um, I moved out of my parents' house, but I don't have a girlfriend, boyfriend. I don't have a, a mate yet. Yeah. He puts us in all these situations um, to really help us grow. And, yeah. and you start to discover things like, who is my mother, father, sister, brother? You, you start. He always places the solitary in families. That's a scripture in Psalms. But a lot of times we are chasing the wrong family, <laughs> mm -hmm. the wrong peers, the wrong whatever. But if we if we get into some solitude, we can figure out, our place in the body of Christ, with friends, with relationships, with family. And a lot of people are not in the right position because they never get in their prayer closet. They never do anything alone. They always have to pray with somebody, worship with a crowd, study the Bible with somebody. 
they're never doing anything by themselves. Mm. So there, there, there's definitely some blessings to that. Yeah, you need a little bit of both of that. And mm-hmm. and I think he, he just at <coughs> the very first paragraph, he had a few uh, examples that I think show that what you just said, uh, forget exactly how you said it, but you know, you're pursuing the wrong family, something like that. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, the fear of being left alone petrifies people. A new child in the neighborhood sobs to her mother. <coughs> no one ever plays with me. And college freshman yearns for his high school days when he was the center of attention. Mm-hmm. Now I'm a nobody. A business executive sits dejected in her powerful her, her office, powerful yet alone. An old woman lies in a nursing home waiting to go, quote, home. Mm-hmm. And so here's all these um, examples of us looking for what we're really only going to get from God in, in, in so many different ways. I mean, the, the uh, high school glory days, right? So when you were super mm-hmm. popular, maybe a star athlete, and, and now that ain't the case anymore. You know, you get an injury or, or you mm-hmm. just move to a big college campus from a small uh, little school somewhere, rural, small town, America, and, and now nobody cares <laughs> who you were. Oh, yeah. I went from right. top dog to no dog in, in, in one year. I was, yeah. I was captain of my football team, captain of my baseball team, played sports all my life. But and could have played in college, but I was just kind of disillusioned with life, didn't really understand my place in this world. And so I gave it all up because I really didn't know who I was or what I should be doing with my life. And definitely some aloneness because you left the whole culture, a whole family. And later in life, um, I began to share how I kind of overcame that. And uh, one day, one of my church members came up to me and he said, you're the captain of this church. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, it was really neat because uh, while, yeah, I was sad to leave what I had done as a young person and even thought God was helping me with, felt empty, alone, gave it up, but but it, it led to something else. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what solitude does. It, it helps you perhaps let go of some things and, and allow other things to come into your life. Yeah. Um, this idea... Solitude alone is the things that we, I, I think one of the reasons why we struggle with it uh, as modern Americans, you know, has a lot to do maybe with our culture, but I, I'm not sure that it's ever been something that we as human beings are, are real excited about and maybe less so now, but I think part of it is, is you know, would we realize too much about ourselves? <laughs> like if, if there's no one else around and no one else to occupy our, our attention, our, our thoughts, our, our actions, you know, if we're just kind of there with God, you know, the encounters that people have with God in the Bible, are, you know, can be pretty terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, definitely. And... You know, is that it? Are we, are we terrifi- terrified about what we might hear, what we might learn about ourselves? Uh, are we afraid that God might ask something of us that we're not prepared to do? Are we mm-hmm. uh, afraid that he might ask something that's uh, just too much for us? Uh, is there something about life, about other people, ab- about this world that will will be revealed to us that will just be too much for us. Uh, 
I think it reveals an enormous insecurity, mm-hmm. right? Like we're not really as secure as we should be in Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Definitely. hey, if Christ is sufficient, well, then what am I worried about? <laughs> you know, and what if he asked me something crazy? Well, isn't Christ still sufficient? Mm-hmm. I, is it really a risk? Is Is there anything that he'll ask us to do that's just so crazy that we can never come back from or that we'll be away from his provision or his love or, or something like that? No, of course not. So so what are we worried about? <laughs> uh, one thing that helped me a lot, I think I learned a lot of this discipline, uh, courting my wife. Mm. When I dated her in high school, you know, I was just hormone and ten- tennis shoes. <laughs> and I'd want to talk to her on the phone for 24 hours and, you know, just, uh, you know, teenagers, they're all into each other's face and wear each other out. They're fighting one day, loving the next hour, fighting the next hour. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we got saved or rededicated or whatever our, our stage of Christian growth was. And so year after year, we, we start to more court instead of date. And in this courting, we, we were at a church and ministry, which came up with this concept of the shelf where you think this is the person you're going to marry, but like a book on a shelf, you just put that book up on the shelf and you leave it there. You don't open it. You don't read it. You don't touch it until you're, you believe it's time to read the book and, and do something with it. So uh, it seemed like the longer we were dating or courting, the less we were spending time with each other. Mm. And I'm like, wait, it seems like we're going backwards here. We're, we're not getting closer, <laughs> but we actually were because we each were getting closer to the Lord and he was bringing us closer to each other the way he wanted us to come together and, and maybe pulling apart whatever soul ties or whatever uh, poor entanglements we had in the past. And uh, today I feel like we have an excellent marriage, not because we don't have problems, but we just bounce back from the problems so much quicker than, than I see most people in um, I think it's because of our relationship with the Lord. Uh, yeah. We're lanyap to each other. We're a blessing to each other, but if we can't be, we have the Lord. So, so uh, <laughs> define lanyap for. <laughs> I know I know what it is now, but define lanyap for our listeners in everywhere except Louisiana. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> lanyap is just uh, something extra. It's not something. Uh, you necessarily need, but it might be something you want. Yeah. And uh, really every la- relationship should be lanyap. You know, whether you have the all the best ministers in the world or the best dad or the best mom or the best spouse, it's, it's lanyap. I mean, you may have that, but yeah. you might not. You might not have the greatest dad, spouse, best friend, neighbor. If you do, great. It's it's Lanyap. But if you don't, God is going to provide whatever that person can't, or He'll provide a father figure if you don't have a father or a, or a whatever. When I was courting my wife, you know, I began to develop platonic relationships, hmm. not only with her but with other women, and, and that was a blessing. If I would have uh, immediately thought every relationship had to be intense and a pursuit of marriage or something like that, I, I wouldn't have been benefited from all these relationships I had during those. We, we, we courted like on and off for nine years. Wow. And in that time, she, she could finish her PhD and I could get my head on straight and mature and get finances squared away and things like that. But there's so much we learned in that period 
that is now blessing us much more longer than, than nine years. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So many of our relationships and more than just relationships, stuff we have seems to hurt so much when it's gone. <coughs> it, like it hurts more than what should hurt, you know, like mm-hmm. us not spending time with the Lord, us not spending time in the word. Uh, what, uh, like one scripture I noticed, uh, we, we're always thinking about lust. We got to battle lust and things like that. But there's scriptures that talk about inordinate affection. You, you just have too much affection mm-hmm. for, for somebody. It's not even lust. It's just you, you're making that person a lord, uh, an idol uh, that's replacing God in some way. And, and you got to keep that mate or any kind of person, idolatry, out in, in solitude will help you with that for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's, the, you know, that's what solitude is, an opportunity to, to wean us off mm-hmm. of the drug of mm-hmm. a particular person or just activity in general, noise. Um, actually, one of the things as he gets into this talking, uh, he, he starts speaking about silence. He, he <coughs> talks about how listening is a big part of uh, solitude, right? So you can be, like I said mm-hmm. before, you know, in a noisy place, but you can actually be listening and that can be in a, uh, you know, uh, movement in the direction of solitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he talks about <laughs> talking and the way that our, uh, th- this was probably the most powerful part of the whole chapter for me because mm-hmm. I talk a lot. <laughs> like you're talking about according with your wife. I remember when I met my wife, we went out on like our first date and then I think we went out on another date the next week and then we started seeing each other pretty often and I just remember one time, like we were driving to a bunch of places, doing some fun stuff. I think my my niece was in town, and we were trying to show her some touristy things. And I just remember her like being in the back seat, laughing at me, because I had Heather, my wife, up there, and I was like not, st- I just <laughs> wouldn't stop talking. I just <laughs> kept talking, and it's mm-hmm. like this, uh, you know. I think it was funny. And I think it was entertaining and all that kind of stuff. But then when you read this section on all of that, what was I doing? I was I was tremendously insecure. Mm-hmm. I was trying to control <laughs> her perception of me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was trying to justify. He talks about uh, you know controlling the tongue. James talks about controlling the tongue. If you if you can control your tongue, you're perfect basically. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, all of these w- things that we do with our tongue to adjust our image and justify ourselves and and make people think what we want them to think and make sure they don't have the wrong impression of us because we're so consumed with what they think, Mm -hmm. right? But And I I just remember this, like, (laughs) I even went back. I was like, dude, shut up, man. Like, what (laughs) were you thinking? Uh, And and then, of course, over time, more and more, we're obviously able to sit in silence. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, there is a point at which silence can be bad in fact he actually kind of addresses that he's like you should be able to uh, a person who is under the discipline of silence is a person who can say what needs to be said when it needs to be said (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, but he also says if you are silent when we should speak if we are silent when we should speak we are not living in the discipline of silence if we speak when we should be silent we again miss the mark so there's this balance of actually beginning to control our tongue 
by being in silence and solitude and reaching a point where we don't just chatter on about absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and actually, he told this, this one story about a medieval monk who had, uh, you know, some kind of, uh, was being unjustly accused of certain offenses. And he says he's looking out the window one day and he sees a dog biting and tearing on a rug that had been hung out to dry. As he watched, the Lord spoke to him saying, that is what is happening to your reputation. But if you will trust me, I will care for you, reputation mm-hmm. and all. Mm-hmm. Perhaps more than anything else, silence brings us to believe that God can care for us, quote, reputation and all. And I live that <laughs> <laughs> for a pretty extended period of time that felt like agony but i just kept coming back to you know wait wait wait. you know I, I there was a tremendous urge to set the record straight there was a tremendous urge to you know justify myself in a way but really it felt more like setting the record straight like whoa whoa, whoa. you're hearing all of these things people but that's not true it's actually this is called projection this is when someone mm-hmm. blames you for the things that they actually did i didn't right, do right. any of that stuff that's being said mm-hmm. and i just came back to uh exodus 14 14 is uh, a passage is right as the israelites are approaching the red sea Mm-hmm. they've got Pharaoh and his army behind them, and they're going, oh, crap. <laughs> what do we do now? Right, right. And uh, I forget if it's God says to Moses or Moses says to the people from the Lord kind of thing, but he says, uh, you know, the Lord will save you. You need only be silent. Mm-hmm. And depending on the translation, it's be still, be silent. I think they kind of go together either way. Mm-hmm. But I kept coming back to that and saying, all right, Lord, I am going to do my best to shut my mouth (laughs) and come with me, whatever that might mean. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there are still an awful lot of people that have certain ideas in their head, but I'm, it's a lot easier to be okay with it, being removed from it too. Mm -hmm. But, but I feel like that was part of it. I I had to actually get out of it in, in some sense. I'm not Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus was silent before Pilate, before the Sanhedrin. Oh, like an, all kind of things he could have talked about and he didn't. Yeah. Yep. Until maybe later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he just, he let God do the talking for him mm-hmm. by raising him on the third day, right? Mm-hmm. See this guy you thought was so terrible? <laughs> uh, here he is. <laughs> you did everything you could to try and stop him. And I said, uh-uh, nope, not going to happen. Right, right. right. Uh, so, so that for me was just like uh, a tremendous thing to think about, and and just remember my experience, and and trying to share that you know what, as terrible as that was to go through for me, and as isolated as I felt, and as my wife and our family felt during that time, it was good in the sense that at least I know for me and I think all of us, although we still have a little baggage from that, I mean, you just, it's just the way it goes. Uh, but, but I feel like it was good because I know for me, it made me rely even more on God. Mm-hmm. And then 2020 happens and all of the nonsense that <laughs> happened with that. And there were a few rough spots, but it never felt quite like what I had experienced 
and uh, so I think it was like training, you know, it was really helpful to. Yeah, a lot of people had trouble with 2020. And initially for me, I was like, the world is kind of starting to live like I do on a normal basis. (laughs) 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 Because I practice a lot of (laughs) silence, solitude, whatever. Um, It's almost like the whole world had to become monks for a year, for a year. And, uh, you know, it's God's sovereign. It's no mistake that, that, you know, he, he allowed this for, for all of us to experience. And, and there's a lot of things we can learn. A lot of people feel like, oh, we can't get the economy going. We can't do this. We can't do that. There's plenty you can do when it seems like you can't do anything. Yeah. Uh, God can show up. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> Number one. And change our priorities. And I think people who are good at social interaction, relationships, friendships, which, which is all good things, it might be a little harder for them to, to practice some of these uh, disciplines. Because yeah. there's lots of scriptures, you know, uh, wives, uh, you know, just be quiet around your husband, win him over with your behavior. You know, he's not going to listen to you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> there's power. In, uh, Stubbornness in, is, right, uh, right, right, right. yeah. There's power uh, in, in silence, being slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to wrath. All this fighting and division in the country might settle down a little bit if we can be slow to speak. Oh, man. We're incapable of hearing. We can't even hear ourselves. So how are we going to hear somebody else? Mm-hmm. <laughs> First, you got to be able to hear yourself before you can hear anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, because in some <laughs> ways... I do think that what we experienced in 2020 is probably going to carry over for a while. Oh, yeah. I think people's mm-hmm. lives have been shifted. And I don't I, I don't think it was not coming. I actually thought it was kind of coming already with technology and mm-hmm. uh, just our culture. Mm-hmm. We're sort of detaching and uh, disconnecting from people despite the digital connections mm-hmm. we're mm-hmm. capable of. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we're all, we we're all kind of doing that already. And here we just accelerated it. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people that are never going back to the office. I mean, they're just, right. they're working from home indefinitely now mm-hmm. because it's possible, it's easier. They actually found people are more productive when they're home. <laughs> so they, oh, they're buying like, houses, they're moving yeah. into rural areas. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. changing big time. Yeah, so so all this stuff is changing. So I would just say, let's not waste it. You know, take an opportunity to lean into solitude, right? Because mm-hmm. as we've said, you know, you can be alone and not really pursuing solitude you mm-hmm. can be uh in a busy place and actually practicing solitude at that moment because mm-hmm. you develop an ability to be quiet control your tongue I, listen. I, have, I have a great quick story um as a teenager after my catholic days with my grandparents and all they died off my, my mother divorced remarried i got she, she married a muslim so i was influenced by arab muslim culture and they had big families and later on, I become a Christian, and I'm like, well, that's that's a good thing to have kids and families, and we should be doing that. So I had this goal. I'm going to get married to a Christian woman, and I'm going to have 10 kids and blah, 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 blah. And after, you know, one or two biological, my wife doesn't want any more. And eventually, she lets me uh, have a dog, and, and then eventually, I can foster some kids, and then she lets me adopt a little bit. But I still don't have those 10 kids. Well, the dog, you know, that's a key point <laughs> of the story. The dog was to make sure you were trustworthy enough right, right. to handle the foster kids. Right, 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 right. That was her requirement. <laughs> exactly. Okay, I just want to make that clear, make sure everybody knew that. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so uh, I'm like, I, I still don't have my 10 kids, God. 
how am I going to get them? You, you put this on my heart. And yeah, I know I, I do youth ministry and I do all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. But I still feel like something's missing. So one day I go to a church. It was actually the church that ordained me. And uh, one of the ministers there, I found out had 10 sons. And he said when he went to Taiwan and he went on mission trips and stuff like that, every, all the men ran up to him because in those cultures, big families are a big thing. And it, Can you lay hands on me and pray for me? I want, I want 10 sons too. <laughs> and uh, as he's telling me this story, uh, I kind of get alone with God. And all of a sudden, uh, a story in the Bible comes up in my mind. And it's where uh, Hannah is trying to have a son. Mm-hmm. And, and she eventually has Samuel, uh, if you know that story. Yep. But what does her husband say to her when she's having trouble uh, having children? Um, he says, uh, I love you, or basically I, I, I'm like 10 sons to you. You don't have to have 10 sons. I'm, I'm everything you need per se for the culture, whatever's going on. And that's what God told me. I, I'm, I'm your 10 sons, I'm your 10 fathers, I'm your 10 spouses, I'm whatever you need and whatever desire you have in your heart I'm going to meet it. It may not come the way you think, but it may partially come or, or, or it could fully come or not come at all. But in one form or fashion, it's going to come if, if we trust him. Well, yeah, so. especially Old <coughs> Testament imagery of God being our husband, you know, the mm-hmm. husband of the, of the church, of God's people, of all that. And, and even into the uh, New Testament, Jesus becomes the, Mm-hmm. Uh, the groom, right? He is the the bridegroom. He's the one who is like ten sons sons to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus mm-hmm. is the one who is like that promotion for us. Jesus is the one who's like that uh, business deal, that that success, that uh, you know, that husband or wife, that whatever experience, that travel, that. Uh, you know, whatever it is that we've got people longing for, we're all longing for something. Like one right now, one of my four children is about to graduate from high school and she's pretty smart and, and, and is going to get offers to colleges all around the country. And I'm doing everything I can to, to keep her home. <laughs> but it probably ain't going to happen. <laughs> but uh, because I want those 10 children. I'm always like, I want those 10 disciples. I want, I want that basketball team, I want, you know, whatever. And God's like, well, you know, if she doesn't stay locally or somewhat locally and you're not able to see her that much, she, she goes to a far off state. She's applying to Michigan in certain places. I call it Siberia. I'm like, I'm not going up there. <laughs> if if she goes Texas, somewhere. <laughs> Texas is Siberia right now. So there's an awful lot of potential <laughs> That's Siberia. True. <laughs> That's true. So if I'm not able to interact with her that much, n- number one, she could move back later in life. Number two, she may never move back. She might meet some dimwit, marry him, move to another state. I hardly ever see her for the rest of my life. But if that's what be- if that's what's best for her, if that's the plan God has for her, I, I got to let that go. Yeah. And he's going to bring another daughter, son, wh- whatever you need, whatever you think you need, or whatever you think you're supposed to do, he's going to bring s- someone else. Uh, that's uh, <clears throat> really powerful because, I, I mean, I'm not at that stage Mm -hmm. although probably will be sooner than i think Mm -hmm. uh you know we got chaos right now and we're just desperate (laughs) for silence (laughs) but but i do every once in a while you know i think about well what is gonna happen Mm -hmm. and because like my parents 
we uh, uh my wife and i the moment we got married we got you know we went to the hotel and then i think we had something the next day but then the day after that we got on a plane we went on our honeymoon we're gone for a couple of weeks and then we came back and then we were loading up our stuff and moving to St. Louis to go to seminary. Mm-hmm. And then that was four years in St. Louis uh, with one year actually of those four in Virginia, uh, Central Virginia. And then we we're in Maryland and, and then we were in Ohio and now <laughs> we're in Louisiana from <laughs> New York. I mean, like I never thought. <laughs> and and there's just, uh, you know, what's going to happen with, with my kids, my uh mm-hmm. My daughters often say, "We're uh, we're gonna live nearby you forever." You know, mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna live next door. Can we live with you? <laughs> you know, things like that. Of course, they're still under the age of ten, both of them. <laughs> so, uh, but but my oldest, uh, you know, I'm like, well, what's gonna happen? Is he gonna stick around? I don't know. Probably not. Maybe <laughs> will. I I have no idea really. Right. Uh, but what's that gonna be like? Am I? Because I know my parents have had a hard time with it. Uh, my wife's parents maybe a little bit that they're not letting us know they seem a little bit uh i mean if uh, people don't have a hard time they have attachment issues <laughs> <laughs> like oh, good, so, <laughs> good good riddance you know, right, i never right, really loved right. you anyway you're, de- you're dead to me yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't think that's the case that's not what i meant right but, right right yeah no so there, there's obviously a balance mm-hmm. but that that silence in the house, that uh, isolation. I remember having a conversation actually not too long ago with somebody here talking about uh, how their house, the, the, the couple, right, the two of them were actually, I was hearing about this conversation they had uh, that, oh, the house we got now, it's so big, it's so quiet, so empty, you know, what are we going to do with all the space? Right, right. Um, you know, for people that are looking for an idea, we have uh, uh, Rosemary... Manette, I don't know if you're familiar with Rosemary. She's with One Way Love. They're coming to a church on Sunday to talk just, uh, you know, for a few minutes about what mm-hmm. uh, they're doing. And they're looking to fill those empty houses with kids that don't have homes. Right. So that's one way. But obviously we're talking about leaning into solitude <laughs> and silence. <laughs> um, but uh, maybe that's something in the solitude and the silence that God is saying, you know, like. Oh, you you might have four little bitty kids, like I did at one time, and you felt lonely sometimes because with all the noise, they couldn't talk to you like an adult, and no adults wanted to be around you because you had four little bitty kids. <laughs> <laughs> my my wife probably uh, relates to that, right? I, right. You know, actually, both of us, I think we're, uh, you know, when you have little kids, and it's just you know how difficult it is to get people to mm-hmm. uh, handle that sometimes mm-hmm. and all the the effort to like, get like everybody rushes into marriage oh i got to get married i'm lonely and then they realize i can't hang out with my friends like i used to yeah so, yeah so they actually wind up more lonely <laughs> exactly oh yeah. man i can't <laughs> so. but there's that's all lanyap right those friends were lanyap exactly and all you need is uh, Jesus is your friends. Yep. The Lord is your friend. friends. Friends are land. Yep. And now you're just making groceries with your wife. Making groceries. <laughs> I, I learned what that means a few weeks ago. That's right. Finally figured that out. <laughs> making groceries is basically going grocery shopping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you make them. Got to make them. Somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. Snap, fing- snap your fingers, right? Abracadabra. <laughs> no. Just some of the lingo down here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's It's pretty neat. Uh, that's another thing, culture. 
when I was an undergrad student in California, I felt very alone because the culture was so different than what I grew up in. I mean, I couldn't even, even sports, the Saints, I loved the Saints growing up. Their arch enemies were where I moved to, the San Francisco <laughs> Bay Area. So I couldn't talk to people about the same sports team. Uh, there, were, there were so many people from different parts of the world in the, in the Bay Area. The, the pace of life was so different. Man, it was lonely. But through it all, I learned to get filled with God. And I was no longer alone in a very foreign place. Yeah. And I think Moses kind of identified with that. He was alone. He got, he was adopted and then he got banished from Egypt and he's alone out in the desert in Midian and he names his child uh, a name that describes kind of his aloneness. But you, you learn no matter what the circumstances, what you have, don't have, what old thing might disappear, what new thing you might have adjust, have to adjust to. Solitude, silence, simplicity, we'll maybe talk about that. That helps with all that. Paul says <coughs> something like, I have learned whatever my circumstances to be content. Mm -hmm. I know what it is to have plenty and I know what it is to have mm -hmm. nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and he spent a lot of time alone mm -hmm. <laughs> in prison. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of time. He actually wrote that Philippians mm -hmm. 4, that whole thing is... Uh, about yeah, he says things like, uh, I'm known, but not that well-known. So in one sense, God's using them to connect with all kind of people. But in another sense, and I think a lot of people who do ministry feel, feel that one. You're, you're helping a lot of people. You're connecting with a lot of people. But in some sense, you're not. Yeah, They don't know you. You don't know them. Uh, it's a conundrum that your relationship with God helps you to overcome the lonely way of leadership. Yeah. Uh, presidents talk about that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, CEOs tend to be, you know, leaders that have to be close to people and yet disconnected from them, detached from them in a way. Right. So like, how do you make good decisions? You have to make sure you're not too entangled with certain people, but then you don't ever get those connections that right it's not good for them i think it even reflects uh being like god uh, i know we use human language anthropomorphisms to describe god sometimes mm -hmm. yeah but uh there's a reason why god's a trinity he, he's not alone he, he's not alone Father, Son, and, Holy he Spirit. and he doesn't want to be alone <laughs> yeah. he, he he understands this this need for social interaction and what happens when you have it and and, and don't have it and it's all important stuff to him. That was one of the things that was probably, I know, I know there's some different theological takes on, on this, but, uh, it dawned on me as I was kind of sensing and experiencing aloneness. It, it became useful when I realized what you were just talking about, the Trinity mm -hmm. and Jesus and his aloneness on the cross, mm -hmm. you know, that when he is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, he's quoting a, a psalm that ultimately he's not forsaken, but I still think in that moment felt it. he was. Mm -hmm. And and then you begin <coughs> to recognize the longer a relationship that you have, the deeper the connection, the more intimate, the harder it is to separate. And when you think about Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you think about the Trinity and mm -hmm. the immense 
incredible <laughs> intimacy of that relationship. And then you think about that it goes on for infinity, right? So you take the deepest relational pain you've ever experienced, losing that, right? And multiply it by infinity. <laughs> and that's what Jesus experienced on the cross uh, for me, right? For you. And then when we experience that, well, hey, uh, it's not so bad, guys. Jesus went through that for you. He mm-hmm. knows what it's like, and he willingly did it. And you just, you you, re- you see in your own scars and your own pain and your own uh, challenges and your own suffering, you see Jesus more clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, so the solitude, I think, helps with that. Silence helps with that, being able to listen and um, just really powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. Really powerful stuff. The the dark night of the soul. There's a point, I guess, where <coughs> even when you're pursuing this, you don't sense anything. Um, there's a dryness. Uh, y- you're pursuing God, but you feel like he's not as accessible to you. And actually, wh- wh- what I think he's getting at here is that that's when you really are beginning to get the the most out of it. Is that mm-hmm. am I getting that accurately? Is mm-hmm. that sound right to you? Yeah, there, I mean, there's going to be some suffering. You don't do it just to suffer, but there there will be some suffering. Um, Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. Uh, I mean, Jesus knew everything, but mm-hmm. it's an experience. I guess God hadn't experienced that aloneness on the cross and he wants us to experience aloneness solitude number one it makes you thankful don't know what you got till it's gone yeah just a lot of a lot of deep lessons and then when you finally have something back you've been longing for you'll appreciate it more so uh yeah it's an experience he, he wants us to go through and if the Mother Teresas of the world and so forth have gone through it and they supposedly are trying to do more for God than anybody else, uh, we're all going to go through it yeah. if, if we really are seeking God. Yeah, he, uh, he says something here about, <clears throat> you know, what, what does the dark night of the soul involve? We may have a sense of dryness, aloneness, even lostness. Mm-hmm. And o- any over-dependence on the emotional life is stripped away, right? So, mm-hmm. like, we actually need to be entertained and built up riled up sort of uh, uh and, and the dark night of the soul is a way to finally strip that away even uh, the notion often heard today that such experiences should be avoided and that we should always live in peace and comfort joy and celebration only betrays the fact that much contemporary experience is surface slush <laughs> <laughs> The dark night is one of the ways God brings us into a hush, a stillness, so that he may work an inner transformation upon the soul. I mean, I've felt it when I've done funerals and and things like that. You know, you start to empathize and feel what others are feeling, and and scriptures start to come alive. Better to be in a house of mourning than a house of feasting. Well, no, on the surface, a house of feasting is pretty fun, (laughs) and a house of mourning is no good. But, uh that feast is only going to last for so long. Yeah. Same thing with the morning. That's only going to last for so long. And but at least things are looking up from there. Exactly. <laughs> Anybody can make it through a feast. Can can you 
turn your mourning into dancing. That's what solitude helps you do. He, uh, he uh, adds something here, the end of this section, when God lovingly draws us into a dark night of the soul, there is often a temptation to seek release from it and to blame everyone and everything for our inner dullness. The preacher is such a bore. The hymn singing is too (laughs) weak. The worship service is so dull. We may begin to look around for another church or a new experience to give us spiritual goosebumps. This is a serious mistake. Mm -hmm. Recognize the dark night for what it is. Be grateful that God is lovingly drawing (coughs) you away from every distraction so that you can see him clearly rather than chafing and fighting. Become still and wait. It it makes me think again. I've done at least two funerals for suicides. And these were well-liked people. Friendly, popular. They interacted with lots of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were very alone. They they didn't know how to, as you do the funeral and you minister to their family and friends, you realize they really didn't talk too much to too many people about serious things going on in their life. And when they were alone, instead of getting closer to God, they were writing uh, suicide notes and, and, and who's going to, very premeditated mm. how they were going to end it all and there's a lot of lonely people out there and they, we, we need to need to know how to get, get into solitude with God or the, yeah. en- the enemy will come after you. Oh yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, the dark night of the soul is not an indication of God's absence, but mm-hmm. actually a way that he's trying to draw you into his presence, mm-hmm. truly into his presence and not into all the stuff that we are relying on to get that sense that we're in his presence no actually maybe we are in his presence in this Dion sanders said something real funny he's a you know famous football player baseball yep. player he said what sport do you like more football or baseball he said fishing because <laughs> <laughs> i can get alone i can hear my thoughts i can talk to god i can figure out where, yeah. where i am yeah so, so uh <clears throat> real quick before we finish up here i've got uh an appointment the steps into solitude just some things to help people begin that process Uh, i think he he starts out taking advantage of the little solitudes that fill our day already Mm -hmm. Uh, consider the solitude of those early morning moments in bed before the family awakens Mm -hmm. think of the solitude of a morning cup of coffee before beginning the work of the day Uh, bumper to bumper traffic during the freeway rush hour i actually uh a year or two ago for Lent, I just started turning off my radio in the car Mm -hmm. and I would drive in complete silence and you have no idea how (laughs) actually refreshing it was. It was weird for a bit, Mm -hmm. but then it became like I needed it. Mm -hmm. Like I needed the silence. I I valued it so much that I wouldn't turn on. We we keep changing the radio channel, the TV channel. Nothing sounds good. We're dissatisfied. Maybe because God wants you to turn it all off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, He played a game here with his kids, supposedly uh, on the way to the airport. Hey, we got five minutes left. Let's see if we can be absolutely quiet until we reach the airport. Yeah, silent game. Uh, I don't know know how that would work. Uh, But then he talks about developing a quiet place designed for silence and solitude in your Mm -hmm. home. He's got some suggestions on that. Oh, yeah, man cave. No matter what. (laughs) Uh, Like, I I don't have the 
capacity to do something mm-hmm. like that. But there, he he basically tries to give everybody in any kind of home or living space mm-hmm. uh, ideas to do just that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks about letting our words be few. <coughs> he talked about trying to live an entire day without words. He talked about uh, a few times a year for three or four hours. Uh, use it for the purpose of reorienting your life goals. Um, you can do it quietly in a variety of places. He's got suggestions for that. Um, and if people practice this, we don't have to entertain people 100% of the time when they come to church. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I do notice that my kids, because we basically just kind of do a lot more to just leave them be rather than try to entertain them all the time, mm-hmm. they're a lot easier to entertain as a result. Mm-hmm. You know, because their imagination is always at work. Uh, they're okay in their own skin. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that a lot in uh, our kids, for sure, and, and a lot of other kids and in families that do stuff like that. So so it's a good thing. You, we shouldn't always be entertaining our kids. We shouldn't mm-hmm. always be entertaining ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's, it is literally like a drug. We are addicted <laughs> to our phones, to noise, to people, to yep. anything to keep away those inner thoughts and maybe even the dark night of the soul and maybe even subconsciously God. So we don't hear what he really wants to say to us. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) But, but what if that was the key to unlocking the peace, the calm, the stillness, the security, the stability that we are also desperately craving in such a chaotic world. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's worth pursuing, uh, just uh, ending, I guess, on this Bonhoeffer quote, real silence, real stillness, <clears throat> really holding one's tongue comes only as the sober consequence of spiritual stillness, real peace, real calm, real joy, real everything that we're longing for only comes from this. So I would encourage everyone to try and practice it. Mm-hmm. Right? Definitely. All right. Well, uh, I thought about leaving an extended period of silence at the end of this where we just sat in silence, but I got to (laughs) go. So I would encourage each of you to, at the end of this uh, podcast, at the end of this video, whatever it is, just take, try five minutes Mm -hmm. and see if you can just be completely quiet and alone for five minutes and see what it does. All right. Hey, y'all. Good to be with you. God bless you. Catch you next time. Bye-bye. Amen.